Hello, this is Connor Jessup. I play Ben Mason on Falling Skies, and you're listening to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Live long and Bad feeling about this. So say we all. This is going to get pretty interesting. Divine interesting. Oh God, oh God, we're all going to die? Only try to realize the truth. There is no spoon. Delicious strawberry flavor. You are listening to your Sci-Fi Diner podcast. And now, from the end of the universe, bringing you the latest in science fiction movies and television shows, here are your hosts. Sci-Fi Diver Podcast. This is episode 109. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog. And hello, I am Miles from McLaughlin. And we have with us tonight a very special guest from the podcast Life After Track and Subspace Communique. Mm-hmm. It is Chris Wood himself. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hey, thanks, guys, and, and congrats on 109 episodes. Man, that's a labor of love. <laughs> it, is. it is. And, you know, we absolutely love doing the show, but it you know, there, there's work involved. Yeah, there, there is. Yeah, there is. Mm-hmm. There is, but we enjoy it. We, enjoy, you know, what we enjoy interacting with the fans of science fiction that we do, and we enjoy interviewing the people we do. And uh, this gives us opportunity to talk to people from all over the country, all over the world. I mean, yeah. you, you're talking, like Chris. I mean, you're you're, you're you're talking to us from Texas. So yeah, yeah. No, it's crazy, man. It's yeah. You guys do a good job. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, plus, I get to hang out with Miles and talk sci-fi. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you just can't argue that. So, yeah, that's awesome. But and uh, Chris, I've been enjoying the uh, Life After Trek uh, uh, podcasts. So, um, good job with those. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Yeah, we enjoy doing that too. Yeah, it's definitely a labor of love. The whole thing is because um, we uh, we've yet to make any money on any of it. Not that that's our only goal, but um, uh, it's actually it's. It's a Star Trek fan dream come true. So it's not really a monetary kind of uh, profit deal. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Miles, have we made any money yet? <laughs> um, I don't think so. No, no, you know, you know what it is is we have get we have gotten a lot of people that have given stuff to give away on the show. That's probably the biggest benefit we've had. That is, that is true. I mean, but, um, the, the guests that we've interviewed at the cons have been nice about yeah. uh, giving us sign print, yeah. giving us a sign print, or some authors have given us books to give away. Yeah, I think Geek has been very generous. Uh, yeah, John Fraser and the folks think he could have been very generous. Yeah, so, so awesome. But, mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah, but it, but for our listeners, if you have not checked out Life After Check, Trek, if I can speak here, uh, please check it out, especially if you're into Star Trek. You get to hear where these folks are at after Star Trek, a little bit about their time on Star Trek, but especially what they're doing now. And for a great news site, a great Star Trek news site, that's often the first place I'll go to when I'm looking for We're always plagiarizing them. Yeah. <laughs> Stealing, we're always thieving their news. But I always, thank, right. I always I, thank you at the end, yeah. No, we do give you credit, so I guess it's not... Very cool. Yeah, yeah I appreciate it, guys. That's no, awesome. No, 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 but it's it's a good times, good times all around. Well, on the menu tonight, uh, you know, we have a couple different things. We have Chris here, obviously, to talk Star Trek Las Vegas, because, you know, last weekend was the con of all cons for Star Trek. 
Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we're going to have him talk about it. But probably also just as interesting and we're excited about is we got a chance to sit down, not literally, over the phone, sit down and talk with Connor Jessup, who played Ben from Falling Skies. Absolutely. A very, you know, young man, but he seemed, uh, you know, you know, he, he seemed very well grounded, he had a good head on his shoulders. Uh, and really a central character for the show. His character ended up becoming, you know, very central to the show. Uh, Chris, have you watched uh, Falling Skies? You know, I haven't, and it's not due to the show being interesting. I actually wanted to, but I don't have cable. Okay. So, yeah. Kind of puts a kink in that. Netflix, right? Yes. <laughs> no, I, it'll actually be like one of the few, the first things I watch when it hits Netflix. Yeah. So, yeah. It might be available. You might be able to catch it on TNT site too. Oh, maybe. Oh, okay. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. yeah. So, so, I mean, uh, sometimes they'll actually, I mean, yeah, you can because I was looking for a past episode and they had, you know, they had past episodes on there. Well, very cool. good. Very good. I didn't even know that. So that's cool. We have our new trivia tonight, which we'll talk about. We are giving away. Uh, well, we'll tell you when we get to the trivia question. Um, we want to talk about Asunder with John Moreau. It's a new patio book that he's coming out with. We, of course, talked to him about Enemy Lines, and we talked maybe about having him on the show tonight, but I don't think that worked out. But we'll try to get him on sometime later when this comes out. But it's a patio book you want to check out. We'll talk about some of Summer Glau's roles. And, of course, we're all into Summer Glau. Especially Miles. Uh, the 70s Captain America is really irked, and we'll talk about why that is. Um, we'll talk about why spoilers aren't really spoiling things. And Danger Girl coming soon to a movie near you. Miles is going to be talking about X-Men First Class coming to DVD in September. And on the twist this week in Star Trek, we have the Next Generation sale, a cat tower. Really, Miles? You're gonna be talking about a cat tower. It was it was a great looking picture. A cat tower. Uh, Chris, did you did you put him up to this? No, I don't know anything about the cat tower. You don't know anything about the cat tower. The miles. You, <laughs> no. you, you, you bear sole responsibility for the Star Trek okay. cat tower. Okay, well, we'll I'll talk hit, about it later. It'll either rise or sink. We'll see. Yeah, yeah, yes. Or scratch or one of the two. Mm-hmm. I can't believe we're stooping that low to talk about cat towers. It's a great picture. It's like the it's like the cat mind meld you put on Facebook. No, that was cool. Don't get me on that one. Yeah, Chris, yeah, I you, saw that one. I actually thought that was pretty funny. Okay, okay, all right. All right. Um, <laughs> You're <been> overruled. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm overruled in that one. And we get some news that Falcon might be back in Star Trek 2. What the heck? We'll I talk about yeah. that. Zachary Quinto's on crack, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, we're going to end with our Sci-Fi 5 and 5 with Vegas Con moments from Chris Wood. Cool. So Very cool. that's kind of where we're heading in this show. So, Miles, why don't we go into the trivia and uh, – We'll roll from there. All right. Well, um, this this week we are asking, can you name a show and the name of that episode that uh, had Saul Rubinek from Warehouse 13, Robert Ricardo from Stargate uh, Voyager and SGA, uh, Adam Baldwin from Firefly, Chuck, uh, and get where they all guest star at the same time? Ooh, that is a good one. Mm-hmm. You could easily IMDb that. The, the internet you could find almost anything. Yeah, we could. Mm-hmm. And, and the prize is what? They get a signed print of uh, of uh, Baal played by uh, the very nice gentleman Cliff Simon, um, and he play, you know he, he probably plays the baddest Gould uh, 
system lord of the wall. But uh, he was a nice guy at the convention we talked oh, about. Oh, he was great. Mm-hmm. We have a great interview that's coming up in two weeks. I believe we'll be sharing that. And that's when your trivia is due. So just after Labor Day, you want to try and get the trivia in. And there is a code word for this trivia, and that's what, Miles? The code word is artifact. Yeah, so make sure you include the word artifact in your email or response or your Twitter response or however you choose to respond or your call-in. And uh, you could be in the drawing for a signed, you know, Cliff Simon photograph. You could get a signed photograph from a system lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are hard to get. Yep, they are. Mm-hmm. They don't give them out willingly. No. Not without killing you first. Right. We, 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 we're, we're lucky we... Yep. And, and Izzy, your prize will be on your way. So I didn't send it out yet. Well, we have some promos tonight. I thought for the first promo, since um, we kind of talked about Life After Trek, but mm-hmm. Chris... Why don't we do a promo for that? Why don't you go ahead and tell us just a little bit about some of the people, past guests you've had on, and maybe some people that you're kind of working at getting on in the future. Okay, sure. Yeah, we've, uh, I think we're up to episode 14 now. Uh, the last two were a uh, round table that we had where we discussed, uh, Star Trek, uh, in, ad nauseum <laughs> with a bunch of cool guys, Dayton Ward and Larry Nimichak, uh, Jared Formby, uh, Damon Shaw from Geek Fights. Um, and we were trying to get miles, but we couldn't get that, uh, get that hooked up, but we'll definitely do that next time. But we, we've had, uh, we've had a lot of great stars. A lot of people have been really kind to us and given us great interviews. We've had Jeffrey Combs, um, Larry Nimichek, of course, Manu Reme, who played Icheb, uh, from Voyager. Uh, we've had, uh, Chase Masterson, Walter Koenig. Um, I know I'm leaving out some folks here, because uh, we've had several. Von Armstrong, Max Gradinchek, uh, Aaron Eisenberg. Um, you know, just to name a few. Uh, but we like to kind of go in depth, talk to the folks about their time on Star Trek, but we also like to kind of fill in the gaps for their time after. Um, and we usually get a pretty in-depth, uh, engaging conversation, uh, with the stars, but check it out. You can actually go to lifeaftertrek.com. It'll actually take you right to, uh, right to the podcasts. So. Be sure to check it out. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what a way for people that have done Trek to come out and kind of promote what they're doing now. Yeah, definitely. That, that was kind of the goal, really. Uh, and, and honestly, not that we wouldn't take, um, you know, a, a headline star like William Shatner or Leonard Nimoy. But we actually kind of go out of our way to find people uh, that have recurring roles. Uh, and somebody who may, maybe didn't necessarily get as much press as the headline uh, stars from the epi- from from the series. Um, so that's that's interesting. Like we had uh, Natalia Natalia Nagalich who played Admiral Nechev uh, on TNG and, and Deep Space Nine, and she is absolutely fascinating. She's I, w- I don't want to say she's one of our best interviews because I don't want to. You know, I don't want to say that one interview is better than the other, but she was a very intriguing person to talk to. So, yeah. And you had Tony Todd on. I mean, th- th- this guy has has done a lot of. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I should have. Yeah, I should have thought about Tony Todd. He is he's the Candyman. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he he was great too. And uh, the voice of um, the Fallen in the uh, the second Transformers movie. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, you know, you look at that, and I don't, I don't know how many show miles, but you know, many shows will watch and say, "Oh, there's the actor from that movie," mm-hmm. or "There's the actor from that show." We many times identify, you know, with actors that have been mm-hmm. in shows that we've loved. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, Star Trek, of course, is this love franchise, mm-hmm. right, for the most part. And and so to find out where these actors are, I think there, there's a lot of interest in that. Oh yeah. So 
Yeah, so, Chris, Chris and Sherry do a really good job interviewing yeah, them. So very cool, very good. Thank you for sharing about the show. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for having me on and let me talk about it. I can't I I can't talk about it enough so. just because I'm excited to do it. So very good. All right, well, let's move in to some TV news. And this is not really TV news, but I wanted to throw this in. If you listen to our interview, I forget when this was, back in episode 60-some, I don't know, John Moreau, we did an interview with him about Enemy Lines, which right. is a patio book. Mm-hmm. And as you know, we interview authors and promote patio books from time to time because we love them. Mm-hmm. you know. And, uh, and But anyways, John Moreau has a new patio book that looks kind of sci-fi-ish that's coming out called Asunder. And I have an image for it. I'm not going to post it unless he gives me permission to do so, but it's a, it's called Asunder and it's by John Moreau and make sure you check it out. I know nothing about it mm-hmm. except that he's doing it and he's been talking about it on Twitter just a little bit. Yeah, well, the, the picture looks interesting. It does. It does. Well, Miles, why don't you... Was this Is this Miles? No, this is mine. That's yours. We, of course, have had this ongoing conversation about how much can you spoil something mm-hmm. on, you know, because the reality, when we talk about current shows that are running, uh, there's, there are people that don't mind if you talk about them. And then there's people that don't want to know anything about them before and, they come out. And sometimes you have to preface what you're saying. With there are, there are people that will refuse to watch movie trailers yeah. because they ruin the shows. Do, do you, do you get all up in arms about this whole thing, Chris? You know, it depends on the movie. Um, there are some some movies that are coming out, like uh, The Dark Knight Rises, that I don't want to see anything about it because I'm looking forward to that movie so much. And, you know, I'll actually come to think of it, um, The Dark Knight, some of it was spoiled just from the different sites that I visit. It could even be something like jalopnik.com, which is a car enthusiast website. You know, they'll post pictures of the new Batmobile or the Batpod or whatever. Right. You know what I mean? It's because the, in, the the internet, uh, there's so many outlets on the internet uh, that can re- release that kind of stuff. It's kind of hard not to be spoiled, uh, right. especially if you're on the internet a ton like I am. Uh, but I try, I've tried my best not to not to see anything for that movie because I'm I'm desperately wanting to see the the end of the trilogy. So yeah. Talk about one that we're looking forward to, Miles, that's for sure. Oh, I definitely want to see that, yeah. Yeah. Well, researchers, and this came from a listener named Colin England, so thanks, Colin, for sending this in. Um, <clears throat> he he basically had this to say, um, or he sent in this article about spoiling things, and Kevin Batchelder, of course, is, who's been in the show, is anti-spoiler. He doesn't want to spoil anything. Mm-hmm. But this is what research shows. He goes, the title is, Researchers Say Experiment Proves Spoilers Don't Spoil Anything. Do you avoid spoilers like Xander Harris avoided commitment? Do you think that people who spoil movies and TV shows should be forced to compete in the Hunger Games? Well, you might want to rethink those thoughts. It turns out the spoilers don't actually ruin your enjoyment of entertainment. In fact, according to research, knowing what's happening may increase your satisfaction with the experience. A press release from the University of California, San Diego reads, Subjects significantly preferred the spoiled versions of ironic twist stories where, for example, it was revealed before reading that a condemned man's daring escape is all a fantasy before the noose snaps tight around his neck. 
Researchers offered suggestions as to why their subjects enjoyed spoiled versions of stories more than unspoiled. One suggests that a plot isn't as important as storytelling, while another said that knowing what will happen in a story makes it easier to read. The press release noted, The overall findings are consistent with the experience most of us had. A favorite tale can be reread multiple times with undiminished pleasure. A beloved movie can be watched again and... Oh, I just lost my place. A beloved movie can be watched again and and happen um, and again. And of course, some of us will still prefer prefer to remain spoiler free. But in light of this news, we won't take it as badly when a clueless friend spills it all. Also, in light of this news, we feel it's okay to spoil the above story in the block quote, the one where the condemned man fails to escape a noose. It was in Ambrose Pierce, The Occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, a sh- and a short film of the story was aired the very last episode of The Twilight Zone. So, uh, what do you think about what I'm saying? I mean, I, di- I didn't think about this, but there are movies that I go back and watch again and again, and I still enjoy them. Well, me too, because, I mean... You, and they've been spoiled. In a sense, you are, but at the same time, you realize you're not going to see everything in one sitting. There's, there's going to be little details, some kind of nuance, something you missed the first time. So, uh, so yeah, that's... And me... Uh, I don't mind being spoiled so much. I mean, when the new Star Trek movie came out two years ago, I wanted to see, is there any pictures? You know, what, what's, I want to, you know, maybe it was a little lame of me, but I want to find out what was going on. Right, right. So you, you, you found out everything. Not everything, but, um. I know all the Easter eggs I was looking for when you were watching it. You mm-hmm. know, all the stuff that was coming out ahead of time. Uh, did you care about being spoiled for Star Trek, uh, 11, Chris? It was kind of hard for me to not spoil <laughs> yeah. and, with ru- it. and run so and run subspace, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I I uh, I think I would have appreciated some of it more if it hadn't been spoiled. But I think movies like you guys were talking about um, rewatching things, you could rewatch something like Shawshank Redemption or something uh, on that scale, where it's more of an emotional ride than being surprised after you've seen it one time. You know what happens, but you can rewatch it just because of, you know, that particular emotional uh, journey that the movie takes you on. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm not one that gets real up in arms and someone (laughs) spoils something for me because for me, I am along for the ride and I, and I, and I enjoy it just as much. Um, but I know that there are, there are people that just, you know, they want, they want to see it. With fresh eyes and come to their own conclusions. They won't even read reviews, you know. And, uh, I guess to each his own. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that it also depends on the movie. If you have a movie like The Sixth Sense or, uh, Fight Club or, you know, other movies like that where the twist is the movie, you know what I mean? And then it gets spoiled. The big reveal is, is spoiled. Um, I think that's – it depends on the type of movie, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. No, no, and I would agree with that. I think if I had known what happened in Sixth Sense at the end, it would have been a uh, – it would have lost a little bit something in it. Yeah, I mean a movie like – I've never seen Fight Club, but I, I have seen Sixth Sense. And Sixth Sense is a one of those psychological thrillers yeah. and it's yeah. – You've got to see Fight Club. Yeah. It is. It's good. Mm-hmm. It's definitely good. And there's a twist. We okay. won't spoil it for you. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, it's a good thing I didn't say that. Yeah, no, you nearly spoiled it for him, but but, hmm. but they all die at the end, so it's okay. Well, they they always do. No. 
Oh, well, let's move on into some other news. And this comes uh, f- uh, about Summer Glau, who's one of our favorite TV uh, stars. Do you like Summer Glau, Chris? Yeah, I, I love Serenity and Firefly. So what, you know, what's not to like? I mean, right. she was fantastic in that, so. Yeah, absolutely. So these is our nine, or at least sci-fi's nine favorite, or least favorite Summer Glau roles. Mm-hmm. So go ahead, Miles, why don't you start off with the story? Sci-fi uh, goddess Summer Glau is headed for Alphas tonight on Sci-Fi, and of course, she has superpowers along with her unusual hair, new hairstyle. It looks like Glau racks up another standout Sci-Fi role as a powerful Alpha named Skylar who can build amazing innovations, inventions. Glau, who's made a habit of playing kick-ass, often unstable Sci-Fi babes, has put together an impressive body of work so far. So we decide to rank our nine favorite and least favorite Summer Glau roles. Where Alpha's Skylar will stand once the dust clears, we'll leave that for you to decide. Here's our list from the best to the not-so-memorable. So uh, number one on the list is obviously Firefly and Serenity, when she, when she played River Tam. It was uh, only the second television role of her career, but Glau embraced, embraced her inner crazy and made uh, River Tam one of the most interesting and mysterious characters on television. River, along with her brother Simon, was on the run from the Alliance, who spent plenty of time before that messing with her head. Firefly's creator Joss Whedon used Glau's natural grace from her years as a ballerina to hang her off ceilings and beautifully kick bad guy butt, while Firefly only lasted one short short season when we finally see River take on Reavers and Whedon's film Serenity and win. It's an awesome moment. And uh, in this article, they showed a video of that. Yeah. Well, that's very cool. And, and Chris, you kind of mentioned... <clears throat> You know, Firefly and Serenity, and this deserves to be number one. Yeah, oh yeah. I, I actually just recently rewatched Serenity within the last uh, month or so, and that movie is, is amazing. It's, it's got every, it, you can come into that movie without seeing Firefly and still really enjoy it, just because it's, it's a very well made movie and it's a great story. Yeah, it makes me excited for Avengers when we see Justin yeah. Avengers. Oh yeah, so, me too. Yep. Can't wait for that. Now, if Summer Glau were in Avengers, that'd be great. <laughs> that, that would be too awesome. <laughs> but, uh, in at number two, we have her role in Terminator, the Sarah Connor Chronicles, as Cameron Phillips. Glau as a Terminator seemed like a natural choice now. After all, no one said the Terminators had to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Considering her character could only pretend to have emotions, Glau still managed to infuse Cameron with plenty of heart, often thanks to John, Car- John Connor's Thomas Decker, smoldering glances. There were plenty of hints that there was more going on with Cameron beneath the surface. Unfortunately, Sarah Connor Chronicle was canceled after two seasons with the character's stories unfinished. So, yeah, another role that I really enjoyed her in. Me, me too. Yeah. Did you watch uh, Sarah Connor Chronicles? Um, you know, I watched... Uh, I want to say the pilot and maybe one after that. And I just couldn't get into it. Maybe I should have given it more time. It, no, it was, uh, a, it was a slow start. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it was a slow well, start. Well, then I can rewatch it now on Netflix. So yeah. add that to the queue. Yeah, add, add that to your big list of stuff you didn't watch. But then after you exactly. watch the whole thing at the end, you'll be disappointed. Yeah, it is. It left, so. with a, left with a really huge cliffhanger. Yeah, it did. Uh, okay. Oh, that but sucks. It, but it, but it, was, it was well worth the ride. I enjoyed the ride. I enjoyed seeing the characters that we saw on there. So. Oh, yeah. Number three? Number three, uh, The Big Bang Theory. Um, and she plays herself. When The Big Bang Theory gets guys to get a, a train, Summer Glau sits in their car and funny ensues. She plays herself, although we can't imagine any more than the uh, guys why she take a train. We're sure if Glau ever considers buying a train ticket for real, 
this plot, Summerglow trapped with four geeks on a moving train will be will be enough for her to reconsider. And um, I saw this episode. Uh, it's more about the guys than her. I mean, uh, she does interact with them a little bit, but it's more about their reactions. The fact that Summer Glau's there on the train with them. that would be yeah. your reaction, Miles. Yeah, I might. Uh, <laughs> see, that was Felicia Day. I'd be that way. Mm-hmm. But it was. It was. It, did you ever see that episode, Chris? Uh, I love the Big Bang Theory, mm-hmm. and in fact, uh, I can't remember who it was. It was either Garrett Wong or Jonathan Frakes at uh, Vegas Con who said they wanted to be on Big Bang. Either one of those guys would be awesome on oh, that yeah. show. Yeah. You know who else wants to be on Big Bang? Uh, Christopher Judge from, uh, from 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 SG One. Oh yeah, dude, I love Teal'c. Yeah. yeah. Well, we don't want to spoil anything for Chris. We won't mention what movie he's going to be in. But uh, we, uh, he was wearing a, a Bazinga T-shirt that weekend. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So yeah, he 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 wants to be on it, and he has a good idea for a story for it. <laughs> he, do, he does. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, that, that's right. I forgot all about that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he's a good actor. I we saw uh, Dog's Breakfast. Um, okay. I don't know if you guys have seen that show, but it was put on. Have you seen that? No, I haven't. Okay, it was actually created by, uh, uh, he played Rodney McKay. Oh, I'm totally uh, blanking on his Hewitt. name. Hewitt. Yeah, David Hewitt. Yeah. Yeah, he, he created that. And him and his sister, who played his sister in Stargate Atlantis, uh, it was a, a movie that they created. She starred in it. Uh, Christopher Judge was in it. Um, uh, Carson Beckett, I can't remember his name either, from Atlantis was in it also. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, he's Christopher Judge was a completely different role than anything I've seen him uh, in because you know he usually plays the tough guy, he's Teal'c. Right. But uh, Dog's Breakfast really uh, highlighted his acting ability, so I think he'd be good in Big Bang. Yeah, absolutely. And he he was hilarious um, at the con. I mean, he had us yeah, all laugh. It was it was, a, it was a laugh a minute. Yeah, hmm. yeah, it was it was good to see him. Mm-hmm. Number four clocks in her role as Tess Dorner in the forty four hundred. I watched the first season of the 4400, mm-hmm. and I don't really remember her. She was in... She was in it, but and, I don't remember it. And, and you appreciate this, uh, Chris. She was in it with, uh, with uh, Jeffrey Combs. Uh, I don't know if you've uh, um, ever caught 4400. Yeah, I watched a few episodes, and I really liked it. It just kind of slipped under my radar. Yeah. Uh, there was a Stephen Naira Bear um, uh, series. Uh, you know, the, the guy who was responsible for a lot of Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was a good, it was a good series. And how many up, how many seasons was that on? Was it on, on more than one? No, yeah, it was at least two. Yeah, I mean, say. two or three, up, th- two or three seasons, I, I, I seem to recall. Yeah, yeah. And she, she had, you know, she, she, she made, you know, a few appearances on that show, yeah. Yeah, very good. Number five clocks in, that's yours? Uh, the Cape, uh, Orwell. Easily the best thing about the Cape was, uh, Glau's Orwell. Her character is smart and sexy and finds herself battling bad guys, often in this short-lived series. While there's a hint about who Orwell really is and a bubbling of potential for that character, the series as a whole failed uh, Glau and us. Yeah. So. Yep. So short-lived. Mm-hmm. Some people said it had the Glau, had the Glau curse. Uh, yes. Have you, Chris? Have you heard of the Glau curse? Uh, no, no, I haven't. People's, but uh, it's it's not surprising. Yeah. Uh, Considering what she's been in, yeah. Yeah. So like Terminator was two seasons, Dollhouse, which is number six, you know, she plays a Bennett Halverson and the show gets canceled. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the Kate, the show gets canceled and, um, the joke is she's on Alphas and that Alphas is going to be canceled now. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
but she also played um, Angel uh, as prima ballerina. This is Glau's first TV role that gave the young former ballerina a break into acting and introduced her to Joss Whedon, who would eventually cast her in Firefly and Dollhouse. So I never, I haven't watched Angel, but me neither. But well worth it. Um, and uh, <coughs> why, don't, why don't, thanks, Miles? And why, why, why don't you give us number eight? Number eight, uh, she was uh, Chuck. Uh, there, there's so much hype about Gloud joining her Firefly castmate, Adam Baldwin, who plays Casey on Chuck, that the guest shot actually ended up a bit of a uh, disappointment. In fact, the entire thing, with different actors playing the mysterious uh, Greta, never really worked. However, this one scene between Greta and Casey almost made the Greta business worthwhile. And I, I did watch that clip, and it was uh, pretty funny. Pretty funny, mm-hmm. yeah. I just don't remember Chuck. It must have been after I stopped watching Chuck. Okay. Do you watch Chuck at all? I did some the first couple seasons, uh, and then I've kind of tuned out since. I don't know if it's if it's gotten worse or better. I don't know if it has like the uh, the run like Heroes did, where first season was amazing, and then after that it totally tanked. But I watched the first two seasons and then stopped watching. I just mm-hmm. didn't make it past it. Mm-hmm. And number nine is Mammoth. She must have been in a, I think this is a made-for-TV movie. Probably for something for the Sci-Fi Channel. Yeah, Jack Abernathy. The rampaging prehistoric mammoth in Summer Glau playing a girl named Jack. What's not to love? I, I watched the clip, too. It was a little amusing, you know, yeah, watching sure. her scream as a mammoth comes charging yeah. through. They got all sorts of response in this on the uh, Sci-Fi Channel site. It said, Summer Glau's in alphas, this means it's going to be canceled. So what people were saying. and uh, uh, Either that or Amy Acker. <laughs> who also was in Dollhouse. So. But that's it for Glau. And, uh, you know, a lot of the shows I liked. Yeah, I, uh, over half of them I liked. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So some good stuff, some good stuff. Well, let's move on into movie news. And uh, this news story came out, and I'm going to let you talk about it. Yeah, I, I remember this when it was, this was on. I was a, a wee lad when this, this uh, show was on. 70s Captain America kicked off. Uh, ticked off, he didn't get a role in the, in the new movie. Uh, Lou Ferrigno, who, who portrayed uh, TV, TV's non-CGI version of the Hulk, got to cameo in the 2003 Hulk movie. Sure, he was only a security guard, but still, Marvel showed him some respect. Now, another TV hero is, is, is pissed because he didn't get the same treatment. Reb Brown, who was Steve Rogers' Captain America back in the 70s in the, in the two Captain America TV movies, says that the producers gave him the idea that he'd be appearing in the film in some unspe- unspecified role but once production got underway, he never got a call. He feels this uh, violates an unwritten rule of superhero remakes in which uh, earlier actors who have portrayed a character get some sort of nod. Brown is still up for appearing in the sequel, though, no matter how small the part. Marvel, meanwhile, had no comment and apparently was unaware until now that Brown was upset. What do you think? Should Brown have popped up in Captain America, the first Avenger, or is your first response to think, uh, Reb Brown who? That was my response. Mm-hmm. Reb Brown who? Yeah. <laughs> but... Did you watch Captain America in the seventies? You know, I, I do remember Captain America, and and I think that they're right in not putting him in it. I don't know if you guys have seen the Captain America from the seventies, but well, uh, Miles it, did. It, I, I remember it. Yeah, <laughs> it was pretty bad. At least what from from what I can remember. And if I and if I remember, it didn't last too long. It may have lasted a season. It was. Well, they said it was just two movies, right? I'm trying. I, yeah, I have to go back and do some. I mean, uh, I don't remember there being much much out there of yeah. it. Yeah, so this doesn't bother me. But, but the idea of uh, the unwritten rule about if you were a superhero... They a, have been doing that. Yes, yeah. But, and of course, Stan Lee makes it in everyone. Well, right, that's uh, <laughs> that's a given. That goes without saying. But mm-hmm. 
Well, Danger Girl is uh, heading to the movies and has snagged three sexy super spies. So I don't know much about Danger Girl, do you? Never heard of Danger Girl. No, but they certainly have uh, – this is coming up in the movies and they have got – no, there's some hotties. Uh, Mila Jovich, uh, Kate Beckinsale and Sofia Vergara together in one movie and that movie is an adaptation of the Danger Girl comic book series. We're about to pass out. Um, according to Latina Review, the Resident Evil Siren, Underworld, uh, Temptress, and Modern Family Hottie are all attached to star in a big screen treatment of J. Scott Campbell's Wildstorm comic series. A production company called Bender Spink, that's a name, uh, which has been behind films like The Ring and The Ruins, is shopping the movie rights around Hollywood as we speak. Danger Girl debuted in 1998 with the initial seven-issue run and follows the tradition of superheroes like James Bond and Indiana Jones, except with a dizzyingly curvious female spies as lead characters. Latina Review reports the film's official synopsis is... Beautiful adventurous joins forces with an all-female spy agency as they race around the world to recover a trio of powerful relics. No word in yet which studio might be interested, but with those three actresses involved, we're certain it won't be long before Danger Girl is kicking butt and melting screens in a cineplex near you. Now excuse us while we go take a cold shower. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, the pictures of them are, they're, they're not hard in the eye, are they, Miles? No. No. Um, have you ever read any of the Danger Girl comics? No, I'm, I'm with you guys. I, I don't know anything about it. Um, but uh, it sounds intriguing. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm always up for a good uh, superhero movie. So, Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, this reminds me a little bit of Lara Croft, but, you know, it's three. Yeah. And um, Charlie Angels a little bit, maybe? Little Charlie Angels. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. So nothing wrong with that. And then certainly we always love our spy thrillers, which sounds like these could work. Mm-hmm. Well, Miles, you uh, you saw X Men First Class, right, in theaters? I, I did. Yep, mm-hmm. and uh, we have a DVD coming out, right? Right. So, Fox. To- Before you share, okay. Chris, did you see X Men First Class? No, I didn't. But it's actually one of the ones I wish I had seen. Yeah. So it's going to be on your rental list. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. As soon as it hits Blu-ray, man, I'm totally gonna I'm gonna pick it up. Yeah. Well, Miles is going to tell you when you can pick it up. So Fox has announced they will release uh, Matthew Vaughn's uh, X-Men First Class onto DVD and Blu-ray on September 9th, a mere three months after it hit theaters. The film will be uh, offered in two different cases. One uh, features uh, James McAvoy as Professor Charles X, and the other as uh, Michael uh, Fassbender as uh, Eric Lenscher, uh, a.k.a. Magneto. The Blu-ray will include over uh, two hours of special features, a digital copy of the film, ten uh, Marvel X-Men digital comics, including a new X-Men First Class backstory. Additionally, the first 1,000 fans who pre-order a Blu-ray or DVD during Comic-Con will receive a... Yeah, limited, that's apparently old news. Yeah, a <laughs> uh, limited copy. So if you went to Comic-Con, maybe you were able to take advantage of this. But, uh, yeah. But but well worth picking up? I don't know if I... I, I, if I I'll, I'll rent it again. And, right. You know, but you don't know if you'll buy it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not buying right. any DVDs. Will you buy it, Chris, or will you rent it? I'll probably buy it. I've got uh, I've got the other X Men movies except for Wolverine. I still haven't seen that, but I've heard atrocious things about oh, it. Oh man, uh, Wolverine rocks! Was it good? I, well, okay, Miles, you liked Wolverine, right? Chris, I enjoyed the Wolverine very much. Yes. I, I mean, I've not read the c- comics, so I don't know how 
far yeah. it, it, it departs from the uh, – I think that's where people really complained about yeah. the Wolverine. If they read the comics, it didn't stay as true to the comics as they really wish it would have. But it's a good action movie. It's a good action – but also told a good story. So, I mean, uh, I, I enjoyed the story it told along with it. So, yeah, yeah I it, would still recommend hey, if you, it. if you don't buy it, at least rent it and watch it and then make a decision to buy it. Yeah, definitely. No, and and I dig Hugh Jackman. So I've just I've heard that uh, that the story wasn't great, but if you guys say it was, I'll totally check it out. Well, check it out, and then you can tell us whether we're full of crap or not. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's funny. I'm actually sitting here. I just texted my wife, telling her that uh, X Men First Class is coming out September 9th. She's all excited. So. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, September 9th. So we're we're looking forward to that date. I, I saw the movie on my birthday, and uh, it was. Uh, quite enjoyable that's a great birthday gift and of course they're going to start fil- i saw this didn't put it in the show notes but november they start filming filming the second wolverine movie oh good so wolverine in japan i believe mm-hmm. so they, they better do that soon he uh hugh jackman's not getting any younger no no but he's still going to be he's still going to rock right <laughs> so i love hugh jackman well let's move in if we have no more news mm-hmm. to this week in star trek This uh, a little shorter and sweet because we have a, a friend, a guest, a Chris. Should August. we let him talk about Vegas first? Or? Let me do this first because it'll be really quick. Right, because we're going to hear about the cats, right? We're going to hear about the cats, yes. Right, okay, go ahead. Um, I just I just got an email from StarTrek.com that if, if you were looking into getting the uh, TNG DVDs, uh, they're having a huge sale right now, um, half off for each, you know, each of the seasons, uh, $37.49. You get the whole thing for... Hundred eighty nine ninety nine, so um, it's for a limited time. But if you were looking to get the DVDs, now's a good time. The Blu Ray is coming out, that's why. Yeah, and the, the remastered ones. Yeah. Um, so the image of the day, and uh, I'll see. It's too bad you can't see this, Chris, but um, uh, somebody built a um, what I guess what these things are a cat stand or something like that. But part of it is shaped like like uh, Deep Space Nine. So. Um, Go ahead. So, yeah, it was just somebody posted this image um, on Facebook, I think, and I saw that. And it kind of, I mean, it, 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 it you have the, the, the pole sticking up and around it is, is the space the space station on it. So I sent you a link, Chris, so you can look at it. Oh, right on. So, but it's it's for cats. It is for cats. Yes, it's for cats. Hey, I have cats. I don't want cats walking all over my Deep Space Nine. Well, but if I but I want my cats to like Star Trek, so that's one way. To right. Do it. So you dress your cats up. Sure. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> a little Star Trek cat. Do you see it, Chris? Oh yeah, yeah. It just came up. That's pretty cool, actually. <laughs> yeah. I can I can appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So we'll I'll, we'll embed the picture in the show notes, and you can make your judgment on whether you like this or not. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about Vulcan. Well, I saw this, uh, and I, I think. Zachary Quinn was just speaking off the cuff. Um, yeah, he's on crack. That's what he is. That could be too. Uh, <laughs> so, 
Um, but he, Zachary Quinto on Star Trek II, Vulcan could be back. Uh, Zachary Quinto is ready to get back into this Starfleet uniform and have a few words to say on the topic of the next Star Trek film in a recent interview. Uh, during the interview with uh, Showbiz 411, Quinto talked about the anticipation for the upcoming sequel, what may be in store for his character, Spock, along with a few of the uh, possible directions the story could go in. I feel like people are re- are going to be ready for a second one by the time it comes out. It's not like already, really, again, Quinto said. I imagine if we're going to pick up right where we left off, but it could be a to- completely different timeline. They now basically create a device that allows them to go anywhere with it. We could be in a parallel universe. We could be in a parallel time, he, he remarked. It's a joy of science fiction. Vulcan could be back. Who knows, he added. So... Um, yeah, his last bit of comments don't make a whole lot of sense. I think, no, they uh, don't. Uh, but I think he's just, yeah, whatever. <laughs> what do you think of this, Chris? Uh, yeah, I think he's totally just talking off the cuff. I don't see how they could do that, um, you know, considering it was completely destroyed. Uh, I mean, maybe he's he's speaking about the culture, but from what I've read, he's specifically talking about the planet, so... Yeah, I don't really know how that's going to be be feasible. Right. And, you know, okay, he mentions alternate timelines, but you can't, if you mess up the timeline any more than it's already messed up, I think you're going to lose a huge audience. Yeah, the Star Trek fans will, will revolt. And, and not that some of them haven't already. You know, it's funny, at Vegas, uh, somebody asked a question of Kate Mulgrew about the new Star Trek movie. And he asked it in, in the way that, you know, he didn't like it, and he, the way he was—I can't remember the exact question—but he was phrasing the question as a, as if, you know, this the new Star Trek movie was terrible. The whole crowd just booed him off of the mic, which was awesome because I didn't expect that. You know, I mean, there's some dissenters, whatever. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, if they screw with it anymore, man, forget it. I'll even check out. I, you know, I just—they can't mess with it anymore. They got to go with the current timeline and just, you know, not uh, not fiddle with any more uh, time travel. Uh, you know, type stuff. I think that, you know, picking up from, not to go on too long about this, but picking up from, from where they left off in Star Trek and just letting the cast become its own cast. I think that's the direction to head. I think it's a direct, I can't imagine that J.J. Abrams would take it any other direction. Right. I mean, and the people that really like this new Star Trek want to see where it's going to go. Yeah. Yeah. I can't imagine him doing it, but I, I think maybe speaking more theoretically that I don't think they'll make it into another parallel universe. I don't think they'll be in a parallel time. I think it'll just be the current, the, the now the new timeline and that's the way they're going to run with it. Mm-hmm. So, but, well, Chris, yeah, he could, he ahead. could actually be like, uh, he could actually be just trying to create buzz too. So yeah, probably, well, it made it on the, it made it on some news. That's for sure. Well, yeah, <laughs> So, uh, Chris, tell us, uh, we kind of hinted at this earlier on, you were at a place called Vegas Con where all sorts of Trekkies unite. Tell us a little bit about the Vegas Con experience. Well, this year was gigantic. Um, from what I understand, Creation's claiming there were 20,000 plus fans uh, at this one, which I can believe. The, the main hall where they do, uh, you know, Main stars speak, like Patrick Stewart and William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, Kate Mulgrew, uh, guys from Enterprise, Dominic Keating, Connor Trenier. Um, and that's just to name just a couple. I mean, it was one of the biggest 
conventions as far as stars that I've been to, even over previous uh, conventions in Vegas. Uh, but it was gigantic. And it was at a different locale, uh, which was better and worse. Um, the facilities were much nicer than the Hilton, the Las Vegas Hilton. It was at the Rio this time. But there was no one meeting place like last year and previous times we would meet at uh, Space Quest, which is the bar or the, the casino outside of Star Trek The Experience when Star Trek The Experience was around. Um, so it was kind of disjointed in that way. Uh, but it was great. I mean, we had a blast. I'll keep some of my details for the five and five. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, we had a really good time and got to got to see a lot of you know a lot of our friends from Vegas, guys from Trekcast, uh, Darren and uh, David. Got to hang out with Larry Nemechek, who's a good friend of ours, uh, and a bunch of other people. A lot of the cast from the experience that we've got to know over the years, like April and Vernon, and got to meet. Uh, Kirsten, who played Castran, one of the the Andorians, finally got to meet him this time, and we just had a really good time. It's a shame you guys couldn't make it out. Yeah, I know we were. Yeah, one of these days we were harassed into doing it. We were we were harassed about coming, but we didn't. We couldn't make it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Dayton Ward actually backed out at the last minute. I don't know what the the details were, which we were kind of bummed. We were hoping to to finally get to meet him face to face. We've talked to him a bunch, but not face to face. So that was that was kind of a bummer. And then Jared uh, Formby couldn't make it this year and uh, damon shaw from geek fights both of them ex star trek the experience uh actors and friends of ours we wanted to see it was a bum- bummer that we didn't get to see them as well but it was a good time hey i mean it was packed it, there were tons of people some fantastic costumes uh, somebody came as a gigantic uh star trek lego guy uh, which oh, really? was awesome yeah you guys can see pictures of that on uh, subspace communique we have a Vegas Con wrap up. You can see our pictures. Um, this year we got press passes, so we were in the front row, which was pretty awesome. Oh, good, cool. Uh, yeah, so we got some really good pictures uh, from the con. Some really great stuff. Um, so, but I'll, like I said, I'll keep the de- the other details for my five and five because I've got some pretty pretty cool stories. Yeah, so. well, I, and I can guess what some of them are because I was following your Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Seeing some of the pictures come through there, and wow, talk about an awesome experience. Uh, now, this obviously represents the the core of of Trek and what you know the Star Trek series. Any any representation by any fan film groups? You know, creations. They're kind of uh, since it's not a fan run convention, they they don't uh, they don't really focus on any fan run uh, um, shows or films or any of that kind of stuff. They also don't really focus on Star Trek auth- authors either. Which is surprising. Um, they ho- they actually hold the license from CBS to be the official Star Trek convention, and they're very selective of of the um, the the guests that they have. They did have a couple panels where, uh, oh yeah, we got to see Mary and, and John from DVD Geeks, oh, Televix, yeah. good oh, yeah. friends of ours too. We got to hang out with them. Uh, Mary did a couple panels, uh, which was cool. Um, Guys from Trek Movie, uh, we got to know them last year and hang out. We hung out with them again this year. Anthony Pascal, he did a panel. Uh, so there was some fan representation, but not like you'd see at like Shore Leave or some of the right. other smaller conventions we've been to. Right, right. So it definitely has the uh, the big corporate con feel to it then. Yes, and the prices reflect that too. <laughs> not, not it's a bad convention. I don't want a bad mouth creation because oh, yeah. they, you know, they're they're actually they do a good job and they were 
really kind to us, but it's because they hold the license and because they attract larger stars, they charge more. So just an so, FYI for folks out there. Right. So give me an idea. If I want an autographed picture of Shatner, what am I paying? Well, just for the photo op, you're going to pay 99 bucks. Okay. Uh, and then for the autograph, you're probably going to pay another 100 bucks. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's quite a bit more. You're going to have to save money all year to do yeah, that. Yeah, you'll definitely uh, save money for that. Yeah. And and someone like Connor Trenier, where I've seen, seen him at other cons, uh, he charges – 35 or 25 or something like that. It's something like this. They're going to charge 50 or more. Right. Uh, but I don't think the stars aren't setting those prices. Yeah, uh, I'm and, sure. And in the stars' defenses, they're guaranteed a certain amount, and then anything over that, they keep, and a percentage goes to the convention, uh, you know, uh, organizers, which that's the same way with every con. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, they definitely charge more at uh, the official... Star Trek conventions, but they put on a good show. They definitely put on a good show. It's very well done. And, and where else are you going to see, you know, practically, you know, in some cases, you know, a huge portion of a cast of one of these shows together in one place? Yeah, right. Or like this time, seeing Kate Mulgrew, Patrick Stewart, and William Shatner on the stage at the same time. Yeah, boy, there goes, one of, your, there, there, there goes one of your sci-fi five and fives. No, no, no. I've got, okay. I've got better stuff than that. Okay. Yeah. All right, <laughs> so. But yeah, I saw that picture and wow, what a phenomenal picture to see the three captains up there. Yeah, and Kate Mulgrew could hold her own with William Shatner. Oh, good. Yeah, I saw that you were saying yeah. that. She could, I mean, she was very quick. She looked fantastic too. Yeah. You know, she, she was, uh, she's definitely on par with Patrick Stewart and William Shatner as far as like, uh, stage presence. So. Oh, good. I wonder if there's any video of that. Probably is someplace on YouTube. Yeah, I'm sure somebody grabbed something. Yeah, they're pretty explicit about not videotaping during that. So, right. um, but I'm sure. I mean, people did last year. So, right, right, right. Those things all always crop up. Mm-hmm. So, that's for sure. Uh, now, did your press passes give you the ability to sit down and interview anyone, or not? It wasn't that explicit. No, no. They yeah, they're pretty. They're pretty tight lipped about um, about giving out. Uh, interviews because we've been to other cons, you know, like you guys have with Shirley and other and Farpoint conventions and stuff like that, where the organizers kind of bend over backwards for people who are there covering it. You know, they'll hook you up with with interviews and and even places like the comic cons that are run by Wizard World, um, they actually they they actually uh, pull in major stars too, and they they go out of their way to get you interviews. Not so much at this one, but you know, honestly, I think it's because the massive amount of people that are there, oh, and yeah. the limited time the time that the stars have, like some of the stars are only there for one day, right? So, and for instance, Nichelle Nichols, we saw her autograph line. She had over seven hundred autographs to do. Hmm. So that gives you an idea of the amount of people well, yeah, waiting. And, and then, if you want to sit down and interview them, that's like fifteen minutes of time they're giving to you that they aren't right. able to sign autographs, aren't able to be right. on stage. Yeah, that yeah. There's sense. no way to quantify that into dollars for them because right. you know the, the 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 cast is there to connect with the fans, but it's also lucrative for them. Oh so. yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. Definitely. Awesome. Well, anything else you want to ask about uh, Vegas Con before we? Uh... No, I think we're ready to hear uh, his top five. Yeah, well, we're going to do that. 
We're going to stop for a short break here just to, and we won't actually take a break, but we'll stop for a short break here to play a, um, a promo from Geek Out with Mainframe, who is one of the, uh, one of our competitors for the Parsec Awards. Oh yes. So, uh, make sure you check, take a moment to, uh, uh, check out Geek Out with Mainframe. This is Richard Green, aka Mainframe of the Geek Out with Mainframe podcast that can be found at geekoutwithmainframe.com. With hundreds of geek interview podcasts, I have one of them. Interviews have included people such as Michael Plastid, Gerald Axelrod, P.C. Herring, J.R. Murdoch, Christiana Ellis, Mark the Encaffeinated One Killfoil, Paul E. Cooley, and Nathan Lowell with more to come in 2011. So come to geekoutwithmainframe.com where our geek flag always flies high. Rick held on to it. And just as easy to smash it. Maybe something wasn't as far gone as we thought. Well, we're just going to make it work. During battle, no pressure. You ready to give it another go? You got eight minutes, and then he goes in the tunnel. Tom. What? Ben is keyed into their communications grid. I know. So find the frequency and start jamming. But they keep changing the frequency. I said he could stay to find the frequency, and that's it. Now you got seven minutes. Okay. Good. No, no, not good. I can do this. I know you can, but if this attack comes, I don't want you here. What if they change the frequency? Scott will never find it. Uh, I'm sorry, Tom, but he's right. This could be our one shot, and if it doesn't work, it won't matter where any of us go. Dad, I know what they're saying about me and Rick. They were infected by these harnesses, but I can use what the skitters did to me to get back at them. You have to let me. Hey, Scott has Max inside a mile. If I say run, you run. Find it! Ladies and gentlemen, we at the Sci-Fi Diner podcast were telling about the show Falling Skies uh, months before it came out. We saw the teasers and the trailers and were very excited what we saw. We had high expectations. Well, I'm not only happy to tell you Falling Skies met our expectations, but it also exceeded them. So we're also excited to tell you we're speaking with one of the actors who helped to make that happen. Uh, uh, the young man who brought the character Ben Mace into life, Mr. Connor Jessup. Mr. Jessup, wel- welcome and thank you for taking time to speak with us on the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. Thank you, and uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, that was very We're cool. We're delighted to have you. And, uh, <laughs> I got to tell you, Connor, I love the season finale, but I'm really upset now that I have to wait a whole year for season two. Yeah, it's a long time to wait, isn't it? But yeah. uh, we'll try our best to make it worth it. <laughs> yeah. Um, wh- when do you start filming the second season? We go into production in mid-October. Okay. For another 10-episode season. Right. Right, I knew you guys had signed on for another ten episode season. I just wasn't sure when it started filming, and uh, I'm really excited about that. So. Yeah, the, the thing about Falling Skies is because of the uh, uh, obviously the high level of visual effects and etc. It, it takes a long time in uh, post production. So okay, yeah. All right, well that that make that makes sense then. And I mean, you guys were you guys were renewed early for a show. I mean, I think it was like the an, an episode or two into the series being out, they said, "Oh, we're going to another a second season." Yeah, TNT is really fantastic. It's it's really nice to be on um, a station that is so um, loyal to its shows. Yeah. Um, yeah, they've been behind us the entire way creatively. So that, and we have a good amount of creative freedom. So that's great. Yeah. And like you said, we got picked up almost right away, which is 
really fantastic and encouraging. Yeah, definitely. Connor, I'm curious, where, where are you guys uh, filming uh, Falling Skies? The first season was shot in Toronto, which is where I'm from. Mm-hmm. And the second season is being shot in Vancouver. Okay. Where all good sci-fi now flows from. Yeah. <laughs> Many sci-fi yeah. shows get shot in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't... Vancouver is becoming very, very popular for uh, American television. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we do want to talk about Falling Skies, but let's talk about you a little more. Tell us how you got into acting. Sure. I, uh, I'm i 17 now, but I started acting professionally when I was 11, and I'd kind of been doing uh, drama groups and theater groups when I was younger than that, and uh, anyone who's been in a drama group when they were four or five knows that basically those drama groups consist of running around and screaming. Right. Um, <laughs> sort of like Falling Skies, huh? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> a lot like Falling Skies, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but... So I, I kind of went in and out of doing casual stuff for the first 11 years of my life. And then when I was 11, I had some friends and friends of friends and acquaintances who had agents and were auditioning for commercials and stuff like that. And uh, I thought it sounded like fun. So I convinced my mother um, to help me find an agent, and I've been doing it since. Awesome. Awesome. And it and, and was one of your first gigs, the uh, what was it, Saddles? Club, yeah, the yeah. Saddle Club. Um, when I was twelve, I think I got a role in a Australian Canadian joint production uh, as a kids show called The Saddle Club. And what was amazing about that was that I got to the show was shot in Australia, so I got to sh- I got to live uh, in rural Australia for eight and a half months. Awesome, <laughs> crazy. No, that, that's awesome. And I think that's a show that, I don't know if it's available in the U.S. or not, but I know it's a show my daughter would love because it's about horses, right? Yeah, I think it, I think it had a run on Discovery Kids or something in the U.S., okay. but it's, uh, it's more popular in Europe and uh, Australia than anywhere else. Oh, very cool. Well, um, how did you end up, let's talk about Falling Skies a little bit. How did you end up getting the part for Ben on Falling Skies? Uh, well, the audition, actually, it, it, it seems like such a long time ago now, but the first audition for Falling Skies was in the fall of 2009. Okay. Um, and back then, it was first, it was, it hadn't been named Falling Skies yet. They, it was still called, uh, um, it was called the Untitled Steven Spielberg Alien Invasion Pilot, <laughs> which is a mouthful, but, um, so at that point, my, I, w- I was just auditioning for the one scene in the pilot, which if you've seen the pilot, you, you know that I'm only in the pilot for like two and a half seconds and I don't say anything. Right. Uh, so they'd written, uh, Robert Rodat, who wrote the pilot, had written a couple fake scenes of like just to kind of test the range of uh, the people auditioning for Ben. So I went in in the fall of 2009 and auditioned and I got the pilot, uh, which was basically just a one-day shoot. It was really quick, really easy. Um, and then six, and, six or seven months passed and I didn't hear anything. And then in June of 2010, I got a call saying Fallen Skies has been picked up for its, for its full run. Uh, the character of Ben has been significantly expanded, and his, important, his importance to the plot has been significantly increased. And so because of that, they wanted me to audition again for the part, which I'd gotten. So I kind of had to, uh, even though I'd gotten the part already, I had to audition for it a few times again. So that was stressful. But... um in the end, I, I got it a second time, and uh, I guess the rest is history because we shot the series uh, that summer and fall, and here I am now. 
Yeah, and talk about a uh, significant character. I mean, in, in a sense, the storyline kind of revolves, you know, early on about saving Ben, and then it wraps up with, you know, you know, let's keep Ben safe. You know. Yeah, it's, actually, my job was really easy. For the first five episodes, I pretty much just wandered around with a blank look in my eyes, <laughs> job for an actor. And then when I finally came into the series as like a character, everyone knew who I was. Like all, a lot of my character development had been done for me because they'd been talking about me so much. Um, so I kind of came in as an established character, and so a lot of the heavy lifting as an actor was already done for me by other characters. So that that was nice. Oh, that that is that is nice, then. Uh, now, um, Miles, do you want to take question three? Sure. Um, not that there would be many, um, but uh, maybe for some of our listeners who hasn't seen Falling Skies yet, can you can you tell us a little bit of the show and about your character? Sure. Falling Skies takes place six months after an alien invasion has decimated the human population. So our uh, governments, our militaries, our infrastructure has been completely wiped out. Uh, um, we've been EMP'd, so our electricity is gone. So basically we've reverted to this kind of pre-industrial era stage. And uh, all that's left of humanity is these ragtag kind of resistance groups that are more, more survival groups than resistance groups at the beginning. And the show follows a group of characters that are part of one of these resistance groups as they try and survive and fight back against the aliens. And my character, Ben, is the son of Noah Wiley's character, Tom, who's the main character in the series. And at the outset of the series, my character has been kidnapped by the aliens who are kidnapping teenagers and putting these strange kind of um, biological symbiotic harnesses on their backs. So at the beginning of the series, I've been kidnapped uh, I think it's kind of a mystery and uh, yeah so that's where the series starts off and then uh, you've seen it so you know that uh, a lot happens after that right right definitely now th- this is um, very much a sci-fi oriented uh, show although it, I mean it's TNT so it's, it's it, the focus is very much on the character and the, the story itself and even though the sci-fi is kind of a framework for it it's really a story about Humans banding together and surviving. Um, do you consider yourself a sci-fi fan? Do you watch a lot of sci-fi, or is this kind of a new thing for you? I do consider myself a sci-fi fan. Um, I grew up with uh, sci-fi films and books and TV shows, and I'm, I'm a huge fan of the genre, um, both fantasy and sci-fi. Um, shows like Lost and Firefly and Battlestar Galactica and Stargate, uh, I loved Fringe, I love right now. Um, movies like 2001 and Close Encounters and E.T. and Blade Runner and Star Wars were part of my childhood. And uh, books like Dune and uh, Ender's Game. Yeah, I'm a huge, I'm a huge sci-fi fan. Oh, very cool. And so, you, so you're a Firefly fan. We're huge Firefly fans as well. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> love that show. Yeah, it's, it was kind of cool. As a sci-fi fan, I think I got a lot more out of it than some of the other actors who weren't because. I'd seen so many movies and films, uh, so many movies and shows and books about aliens and um, about technology and alien invasion, etc. And uh, to actually be on a set where I got to watch that, those worlds and that kind of mythology be created around me was really cool. Um, it's uh, it, it, it was a really fun experience as a sci-fi fan. 
Um, I would I would think that playing your character Ben has got to be a dream come true. Your character has been rescued from the from aliens, and now he has to prove his loyalty to his fellow humans. Uh, has that been your experience so far? Um, yeah, he's been. It's been an absolute pleasure, really. It's uh, both the character and the circumstances of the character. So being able to work with all my castmates and the crew and um, being on the set is amazing. But the character himself is also. Uh, uh, I couldn't ask for a better character because he there's so much depth to Ben and there's so much um, left unsaid. And as an actor, what you kind of hope for in a character, for purely selfish reasons, is a character who, who has longevity to his story arcs. You don't want a character who has uh, his characters basically summed up in a two- or three-episode story arc or less. Right. Whereas with Ben, uh, his the mysteries around his character... And what happened to him are kind of series long mysteries, which is an incredibly lucky thing for me to have stumbled upon as an actor because that means that I can continue kind of peeling away the layers of this character, uh, hopefully indefinitely or as long as the series runs. Right. As an actor, you always hope for a character who's complex and three dimensional, and uh, Ben's definitely all those things. And um, the problem with a 10 episode season is that you don't really get to explore a lot of the characters in depth. But hopefully we get a couple seasons or more to uh, to keep exploring the characters because I think that's the best part about the show. We hope so too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we do. Shannon, one of our listeners, wants to know what you liked ba- what you like best about being on Falling Skies. And I think you kind of hit on that a little bit in your last answer. But if you want to maybe focus in on that a little bit, sure. Uh, my favorite part about being on the set of Falling Skies was the people. Um, which I'm sure is an answer a lot of actors would give, but right. it's true all the same because it's being able to work with people who are as experienced and talented as this cast was and the crew was too, is was an incredible experience. We had people who came from shows like Heroes and Smallville and uh, Battlestar and um, one of our directors was Spielberg's assistant director on movies like Schindler's List and Saving Private Ryan and we, we had a whole array of incredibly talented and experienced people and for someone who's relatively new to this business that was uh, kind of a gift because I got to learn so much and it's just so much fun I've always been um, the kind of person who enjoys spending time with people who are older than me uh, I've always kind of fit in better around adults than I have around kids my uh, own age and of course being on a set it's all adults so it's uh kind of the perfect environment for me. Um, and every day coming to set was like a party. It's great. Cool. What's the set of Falling Skies like, um, like the working atmosphere? Um, with, with so much happening, do the directors run like a tight ship? Or is the atmosphere maybe a little, is it loose and relaxed? Uh, can you have a little fun? Um, what's it like a day at work on Falling Skies? It, it's odd. It really depends on the director. Um, some directors have a real knack for being really calm and relaxed and uh, kind of um, unshakable, whereas other directors are more easily stressed and frazzled. Um, and the director, because the director's at the top of the pyramid, kind of how they react and how they act kind of filters down to everyone else. Mm-hmm. So there, like any film set, uh, there's moments of complete stress and craziness where people run around and yell and scream and we're three hours behind schedule and but that's all normal for any set uh so i, I have to i think i'd say that on as a on a whole compared to other sets i've worked on falling skies was pretty 
pretty relaxed. Everyone was very into it. It, it was a very kind of creative show, a very uh, fun show to work on. There was there was never a boring day on set, and I think everyone felt that. So, yeah, it was it was fun. Again, there, there's a lot of moments I could pick out where people were not happy or were uh, exhausted, but that's that's uh, there's no films that you couldn't say that about. Sure. Right. Right. Um, well, you know, you, you mentioned like the first couple episodes, you're not really saying a whole lot. I mean, you're no. just kind of walking around with a, uh, a harness on you, uh, this, a skitter or whatever. I guess it's the harness part of the skitter that's, uh, that's kind of harnessed you. Uh, Jen, one of our listeners would like to know, what is it, what was it like to wear that? Um, was that hard to wear, easy to wear? Yeah, it's, uh, I, I was, I was looking forward to that when I, um, read the first couple scripts. Um, and there's actually two different types of harnesses. Uh, one is kind of a foam, lightweight, uh, kind of easy-to-wear one that's comfortable and you don't really notice. Um, and that's for the longer shots and the shots that aren't close-ups on the harness, obviously. Um, so it's not as detailed, not as um, amazing-looking, but it, it serves a purpose. Right. Uh, but the other harness is kind of a silicon incredibly detailed, incredibly well-crafted um, kind of work of art almost. It has lights inside it so it glows up and it spits goo and it, <laughs> it's really a real thing. And that weighs a lot and it gets really, really hot during... Because all the harness stuff that I was doing, we shot in the height of summer. So it was really rather hot and, uh, and not entirely comfortable. Uh, I remember there was one day that if if you remember uh, the episode Silent Kill, where uh, Drew Roy's character of Hal sneaks into the hospital pretending to be harnessed, right? Um, so that that was about two days of shooting that whole sequence, and he so he had to wear a harness on his back for those two days, and he was complaining and <laughs> itching and uh, moaning and groaning, and me and all the other six or seven regular harness kids uh, who were background. We're all kind of looking at him like, oh, come on, you think you have it bad? <laughs> but I, I was definitely happy to get the harness off and be done with that. But, of course, when I get the harness off, it's replaced with even more complicated prosthetics. Because the harness was just, it was kind of like I wore it as a vest right. under my outfit. But with the spikes on my back, those are actual prosthetics. So they actually have to be glued and painted onto me. Um, so that took a considerably longer period of time. Um, so there's not a single scene in this entire show where I don't have some sort of contraption or prosthetic on my back. <laughs> yeah, so I, I guess the one scene I'm picturing is when they peel the uh, harness off the first time and you see all that goo and stuff that's just being kind of ripped off. Uh, yeah, the, uh, the, the surgery scene was a, a long, hard, grueling day of shooting. And basically, my part in that scene consisted of pretending to be unconscious, getting thrown around on wooden tables, and having this the most disgusting, most sticky goo. I, I forget what, what it's called, the prosthetic people, they had this big bucket, and I think it was actually called like super goo or something. Um, and it gets in your hair and it doesn't come out. It's, it's, it, looks, it looks classic, but it's really, really rather awful stuff. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and that, that, was, that was a hard Very, very cool. Well, one of our listeners, uh, Jason, would like to know, now that now you've been on Falling Skies, do you feel more or less prepared for an alien invasion? Uh, 
I um, probably equally prepared. I don't think I would. Be, I don't think I would fare very well in an alien invasion. So I think I'm equally unprepared. Um, <laughs> I think I have, I have a feeling I'd be one of the eighty percent of people not to make it, uh, because the people who didn't make it were the people who either were incredibly lucky, and that's the majority of them. They were just lucky to be in the right place at the right time. Um, and lucky and smart enough to, I don't know, pack the right provisions or go to the right location to hide, whatever. Um, so, honestly, I, I think if, if we were to get invaded by aliens, it probably wouldn't happen in exactly the same way that it happened in the Falling Skies. So I have a feeling that uh, I, I, I couldn't, you can't really prepare for that. So, um, well, uh, yeah, and, and, you know, we really talk about the invasion one of the neat things about Falling Skies is we're kind of picking up with this band of survivors after the invasion has happened. And, yeah. you know, it's been, uh, what, about six months since the invasion, and we only get, you know, hints about what actually happened through the stories that people are telling, but uh, not, a re- not a real clear picture. You know, one of the things about your character, Ben, you know, we really don't see, he really doesn't get a, a lot of chance early on this season to really see his own personal journey until about halfway through when he gets out of the harness and then you see him really begin to struggle. What does it mean to be part of the group again, but not really part of it? Um, what would you like to see in your character as far as growth in your character in the next season? Um, there's a lot of, the cool thing about Ben is that there's a lot of interesting directions his character could go. Right. Um, now, I don't want to speculate too much on it because I don't know any more than you do about her at this point. But um, but if I had my way, I would think it would be fun to keep exploring his kind of this kind of alienation he feels because of his what, what's happened to him and because of what's continuing to happen to him. And I think because uh, as it's been showing with other harness kids that will probably pick up its pace or will probably continue to work on him. Um, that alienation would get more exaggerated and more um, kind of definite. And I think that, that that's always really cool from an acting perspective to explore. Um, and also, what's, I, think what would be, I think what would just be plain fun to explore would be that, uh, and what I've seen on a lot of message boards and et cetera are that is that because he has these kind of I don't know if superpowers is the right word, but he has superhuman abilities, super speed, super strength, all these things. Um, if you kind of see that explored in more detail, mm-hmm. um, whether he's fighting for the resistance or not, I know that when I was when we were shooting the first season, I was always jealous of the actors on the show who got to run around, run, run, oh, oh, who got to run around with machine guns and shoot things all the time, uh, whereas my character was always just kind of sitting around talking. Um, and I figure if I'm on a sci-fi show, I should at least get to shoot something. Right, right. Uh, so that, that, it would be fun. It would be just fun to explore that. But uh, whatever way the writers choose to go, I'm very, very excited. Well, you know, and uh, you do have your father to rescue, after all. Yes, that's true. It's uh, it's quite the cliffhanger. Um <laughs> But uh, I, I'm very. That's that's one of the reasons uh, I'm very excited to uh, get back to the show, um, just to see what happens. Uh, I, I just really hope um, he doesn't wake up naked in a cornfield or something. <laughs> um, but I guess that could happen. It, 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 yeah, it'll be. Um, it, it's going to be very interesting to see how they deal with that, 
Right. And it's also going to be very interesting to see how uh, we deal with that and how I deal with that because, right. um, as Harness Karen said at the end, it really the really the reason you really did go with them was because of me because they threatened me, um, and knowing Ben, uh, he will feel personal guilt and responsibility for that. Um, so yeah, that that's all going to be very interesting to explore. Right. Uh, I can't wait to start reading scripts. <laughs> so, I mean, there's no scripts yet that you've seen. Have the writers or directors given you any idea at all where they're heading second season? Anything that you can share with us? Uh, no. I, so. I, The writers I know have been together and working for a while. They were working on ideas for the next season even before we got picked up. Um, and I'm sure right now they're developing the scripts more actively, but... I haven't heard anything. Uh, as, is, as is usual with TV shows, and especially sci-fi shows, I know Lost was like this. Um, uh, you, you, as an actor, you really don't know what's going to happen to your character until you get the script. So, And the script usually only comes like 10 days before you start, if not less, before you start shooting that episode. So it, it which is difficult as an actor, because you know sometimes there's an episode for... Uh, Four episodes later, there's something that you wish you could have kind of uh, foreshadowed earlier, or you you know you, you wish you'd have known the significance of this scene uh, beforehand. Um, mm. But uh, you have, I guess you just have to trust your writers and your directors. Um, so no, I, I really at this point I know nothing more about where the series is going than you do. Right, right. Well, very cool. Um, I just thought I'd ask, and I figured from what, from what you were saying that you probably didn't. But uh, uh, we are uh, we are eagerly after the cliffhanger of the the way the season ended. We are eagerly you know awaiting the beginning of season two. So um, now uh, many many sci-fi actors, especially when you get into sci-fi shows, begin to do the convention circuit, like you know San Diego Comic Con and stuff like that. Is that something that you have done, or you will be doing in the future? Or are you no plans at this point? I hope so. I haven't done anything yet, but uh, um, I know the show was at Comic-Con in San Diego for the last two years, and uh, I'm sure that it'll be... And I, knew, I know it was in New York Comic-Con last year. Um, I really hope to be involved in that stuff. I wasn't last year because my character um, was supposed to either be dead or captured, so having me there might reveal some things. Right. But this year, I hope so, because I'm... Uh, as I kind of said before, I'm, I'm a huge... Uh, Sci-fi geek and comic book geek, and I'm—I don't know—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm just a general geek. So going <laughs> to conventions is—I I love it, and I've done it before as just a, uh, just kind of as a visitor, but I've never been on a panel or anything. So that, I think that would last. So hopefully, yeah, that that would that, that would be awesome. To you, you'd be at a convention uh, from a whole other perspective. You know, people, fans of the show, and so on. Yeah, and it's it's there's, that's a, that's the other amazing thing about being on a sci-fi show is that the science fiction fan base, although very critical and uh, passionate, is exactly that. They're very very passionate about the shows they like, so they they're a very vocal fan base, and um, that's uh, that's one of the coolest things about it is that you you have people you go on these message boards and you see people you see these like huge essays almost talking about their theories on the show and what they think will happen and then arguing against other people's theories and it's really really quite uh, invigorating to read because you know that people care about what what work you're doing um, 
I think it's going to be different going into the second season because going into the first season, we had no idea if it was going to be successful or not or how many people would watch it or whatever. And uh, now that it's a success, I think everyone will just feel more um, pressure to do a good job because all these people care about it so much. Right, right. And I, and I think that's something that I probably first saw when I was watching The X-Files is is how passionate fans are and and how engaged you are, you know, as about as far as you know what's going into the mythology of the show, what's going to happen, what's happening here, and I think that's that's one of the incredible things about science fiction that it seems to be maybe it's in other genres as well, but I'm only familiar it, you know, with it in the sci-fi genre. Yeah, um, it, it it is a really amazing thing, and I'm very very lucky to be a part of something like this. Well, is there any, uh, I have two other questions, but you aren't really Falling Sky related. Anything else about Falling Skies you can tell us? Maybe any, you know, thing that, that our listeners might find interesting? Um, there's so much. You know, it's, it's, when you work on a set for, um, for five months and pretty much every day for five days a week, 13 hours a day, you, there's so much, so many interesting things happen. Um, that it's and so much there's so many things that you try and file away in your mind um, but it's too much to remember okay. um, but you know it's uh, interesting things about Falling Skies I guess um, uh, some things that for people who aren't a, uh, aware of how long things normally take to shoot um, scenes that are about 30 seconds or 40 seconds long can take five or six hours to shoot, uh, depending on the style. Um, uh, the little things like that. But one of the coolest things I thought about Falling Skies is that if you know anything about film and TV, um, you should know that a lot, most TV and a lot of films these days are being shot digitally. So they're being shot on digital cameras um, because it's cheaper, it's easier. Uh, but for on Falling Skies, uh, which is incredibly rare these days, we shot on 35 millimeter film camera, uh, which was one of kind of uh, demands for the series and, uh, and which is really cool because I'm a film buff I'm like I love shooting on 35mm and to work on a TV show that shot on 35mm was just like a dream come true so that's why the show looks so much like a movie Oh, very cool. And it does have a very uh, cinematography, you know, uh, it has a, there's a lot of cinematography that feels very like it could belong in a movie Yeah, our cinematographer, our DP um, Chris Faluna uh, is really talented. He, uh, he, he's, worked, he's very experienced and he, uh, he really managed to make the show look incredibly good and look very much like a feature film. Very cool. Um, now two other questions. You've done acting, but you've also had your hand at writing, directing, and producing. Can you tell us just a little bit about this and will we see you in a future episode ever writing anything about Fallen Sky? Um, I don't know. I, uh, I, I am a huge fan of writing and directing, and that's kind of where I see myself in the future. Um, but the amazing thing about working on Fallen Skies is that it's, uh, it's that is the learning experience it is, because, like I said earlier, there's so many, so many incredibly talented and experienced people, whether they're writers or directors or actors or cinematographers or grips. Um, so what what I really want to do from Fallen Skies, at least at this point, is just learn. Um, right. Uh, down the road, uh, if I don't know if we go nine seasons, uh, nice. which would be amazing, obviously. 
but that's kind of too far away to think about. Uh, uh, then maybe. Uh, I think it'd be fun. Um, I know in a lot of TV shows, people, um, cast members get involved in the creative process. And I know Noah, last season, even though he wasn't an official producer, he was pretty much involved in every creative decision in the, sh- decision in the show. Um, so yeah, it'd be, it'd be fun down the line, but not right now. So... You have, uh, you shoot for about five months, or at least as was this past season. Do you have any other projects that are coming out that we might see you in other than Falling Skies? Um, not on television. Um, I'm, I, I finished shooting a, uh, feature film, an indie feature called, uh, Bye Bye Blackbird, uh, this spring. So hopefully that should be coming out or doing the festival circuit at least next year. Um, so hopefully starting with Sundance. Um, but that's about it. I'm. I've Falling Skies is a big commitment. It takes up half the year, and uh, I'm also still in school, so I have uh, I have studying and right. work to do the off season. So no, not not really, and okay. nothing for sure. All right. Hey, I hear that you're going backpacking in Japan tomorrow. I am. I'm leaving tomorrow morning, and I'm <laughs> gone for three and a half weeks. How how long? Three and a half weeks. Three and a half weeks, and, you, and, and you're backpacking. You're like climbing mountains and stuff, or are you just backpacking across Japan? No, just backpacking across Japan. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very interested in Japanese culture, so I'm just kind of doing the entire country in uh, a month. So yeah, it's gonna be, it's gonna be a blast, hopefully. Oh, well, that'll be awesome. That'll be awesome. Well, good luck and enjoy that. Connor, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out of your day to just chat with us about Falling Skies, your role your, your, your role as Ben on the show. Really appreciate you joining us today on the Sci-Fi Diner. Well, I appreciate you for having me. Um, I'm glad you're friends of the show, and I hope you can uh, manage the 10-month wait before the next season. Oh, well, I guess we're going to just have to. But we've been, uh, we've been talking, <laughs> we've been talking about it on the, uh, on the podcast as it's been airing and absolutely, uh, we're absolutely fans of the show. Great. It's, it's really nice to hear. I don't need to tell you people what's at stake. We've all been living on the edge since these alien things came. Tomorrow's assault on a structure in Boston was meant to be a first strike. A coordinated attack with the support of two other Massachusetts regiments. However, Colonel Porter lost contact with these regiments several days ago. And now it looks as if the colonel himself might have been lost. Die brought back the colonel's last order. Abort the mission unless we can confirm the existence of these other units. We still don't know if these other units exist or if they intend to carry out the attack as planned. But I know that if there's a breath left in any of those men, they will do their damnedest to carry out this attack. And if that happens... Despite Porter's order, the second mass has to be there to back them up. But this attack, as critical as it is, cannot be our only objective. We have a responsibility, an obligation to 
protect our civilians. And sometimes, in our desire to strike back, we forget that they represent our future. So I'm asking for volunteers. I need 50 fighters for this mission. If you're with me, meet me in front. Welcome back to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. We hope you enjoyed our interview with Connor Jessup. It was a phenomenal interview, Miles. It was a good interview. Yep. Mm -hmm. And we had a great talk with Chris Wood about Star Trek Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. And he's here to give us his top five moments at Star Trek Las Vegas. So, Chris, why don't you go ahead and you can do it any order you want. If you want to start at one, work your way backwards, or five, work your way up. It's up to you. I'll start at number five. Um it's funny how you kind of get to know, we've, we've been to a lot of conventions, uh, and you kind of get to know stars that are there, um, that you see on a regular basis. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Mad Max and the Road Warrior, uh, those movies, um, but we got to know, uh, an actor named Vernon G. Wells, who played Wes in the Road Warrior. He was also in Weird Science. He was the bad guy in Commando. Uh, nothing, has nothing to do with Star Trek. We've just got to know him really well. So we took him out to dinner. Uh, and it was a, it was a actually really interesting dinner because it was Vernon Wells and Larry Nemechek. Oh, so wow. imagine that. You know, it was just, it was a really cool experience. So I would say that's probably, probably number five for me. Um, number four, it's kind of hard for me to kind of put these on, uh, in, in an order where I'm ranking them. But number four is probably us buying Kate Mulgrew a drink. Uh, at the bar at the Rio. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Cool. <laughs> yeah, that was very you cool. Like, she just walked into the bar. It's a really small bar. Um, I, she walked by and I pointed out the charity. I'm like, hey, there's Kate Mulgrew. She's all, I'm going to go buy her a drink. Just walked up and said, hey, you know, we love what you do. Can we buy you a drink? And, you know, Kate's, oh, you don't have to do that. No, don't worry about it. She's like, no, no, seriously. We really appreciate what you do. Can we buy you a drink? She's all, sure. So we got to buy her a drink and, and uh, talk to her for a minute. So that was really neat. That was a fun experience. Uh, and on the same level, at number four, I guess, is uh, getting, to, getting to hang out with Rod Roddenberry. Mm -hmm. He hung out at the bar quite a bit, too, and got to talk to him and get to know him. He bought us drinks. So that was cool. Um, as a fan, not bragging, but as a fan, that those two experiences are just fantastic. Oh, yeah. Like, where else do you get to experience something like that? Well, so, not too many places, mm -hmm. that's for sure. Yeah. Um, number three... You know, there were a lot of great panels. Um, we got to see John Cho, uh, who played Sulu in the new movie, with George Takei on stage. That was really cool. Um, I'd say number three is probably, we were sitting at, because, uh, you know, the only places to sit in casinos other than slot machines are bars. So we're sitting at this bar. Uh, and it's kind of a long bar that kind of faces out into the casino. So it's not sequestered. You know, it's just kind of one of those you could walk up to get a drink, go back to a slot machine. That's what it's made for. So we're sitting there talking, Charity and I, just just the two of us. And William Shatner was at the convention, obviously, you know, to do his panel on Sunday. Uh, but he was also there filming another documentary. 
So he's walking around. He's got this floppy, like, fishing hat on trying to look incognito. And so he cruises past the bar. And, and literally, like, six inches away from me, he walks past. And I just lean over him all, hey, Bill. Kind of like <laughs> I've known him forever. He looks at me. He's all, hey. That made that made my night. I just, like... <laughs> The, the the Star Trek fanboy just you know came out. I was I was giddy for hours after that. So that was uh, that was super cool. That's awesome. And that's the that's the thing about these larger conventions because the stars generally don't live in Vegas, so they're there also just kind of milling about and hanging around. And you guys experience that at Shore Leave too. Um, but they're just kind of cruising around, like we saw JG Hertzler walking around all over the place. Got to hang out with Vaughn and Max again, Vaughn Armstrong and Max Gradinchek, because we kind of got to know them at Bayou Con. Uh, so we saw them again. Uh, Kate Mulgrew, like I said, she's just, you know, kicking about. So it's it's a really cool experience. I say that, that you know, creation charges more for those conventions, but you not only get to go to the panels if you stay at the hotel where the convention I- is held, you run into these people all the time. Right. So... That's worth the price of, of admission, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, At least they're giving you bang for your buck. Exactly. Yeah, and Vegas is is draws a lot of stars anyway, um, so it's it's kind of a fun environment to hang out with them. Um, I would say my number no number one and number two kind of tie, uh, but my number two, I'll just I'll I'll put this as a number two. This was actually Leonard Nimoy's very last. Uh, Las Vegas convention. At least that's what he's saying. And, and from his his panel that he did, I kind of I kind of believe that this is actually going to be his last. Um, he did a very very good, uh, uh, well thought out presentation of his life, starting from you know him growing up uh, with his parents as a poor Jewish immigrants, and I can't remember what city they lived in, uh, Chicago or something like that. I should know, but I can't remember. But walked all the way through that into his early days in in Hollywood, into Star Trek, into the the lull between you know Star Trek ending and Star Trek the Motion Picture, um, his time directing because he directed Star Trek three, Star Trek four, and Three Men and a Baby, uh, and I can't remember if he did anything else, um, but uh, his his presentation was fantastic. And then at the end, uh, he was he got very emotional. And gave a live long and prosper through tears, which just killed me. You know, it's just one of those moments where you're like, wow, you'll never see this again. So that was, that was really cool. That was, that was, uh, if that's not number one, it's number two, because my number one is, is special just to me, um, as a, as a person who runs a Star Trek website. But, um, that was something to see. I almost skipped his, his presentation and I'm so thankful that I didn't because it was fantastic. Mm. Um, so I guess my number one for me, and it's really not, it has nothing to do with Star Trek stars or, you know, meeting famous people or anything like that. We actually were hanging around, you know, talking to, to other fans, uh, and getting to know people. And then we went, you know, and tried to find some food at like, you know, one in the morning. So we found a Burger King and we were standing in line at this Burger King. This guy in front of me turns around. And I, I wear a subspace communique shirt every once in a while. I don't wear it all the time. Uh, but he turns around and looks at my shirt, and he's all, holy crap, you're Chris. <laughs> and I went, yes, I am. He's all, 
dude, I listen to your podcast all the time. I love your website. And he just kept going on and on and on about how much he loved the site and how much he appreciates what we do. And we ran into several people like that. So for me, that's number one. That's, that's the best experience for me from Vegas con. I mean, that kind of stuff just makes me want to keep doing what I'm doing and knowing that people appreciate it. But we had several people come up and talk to us and tell us how much they like the site. And not not from a bragging position. That's not why I'm saying it. It just meant a great deal to me. So, Oh, yeah, and it, and it would because there are times – I know when we were doing the diner and we first started, we did the first 50 episodes of the diner and we barely heard from anyone. Right. Right. And so, I mean, you do, and you kind of like, okay, well, I guess people are, people are downloading it. I know that, but you're not hearing from anyone. And so when that happens, you start getting those few people commenting in that that's great. Yeah. It, it, it makes a huge difference. And I'll be honest with you. And I'm sure you guys have felt the same way since it's a labor of love. Sometimes it's a lot harder than others. And sometimes you think about quitting. Um, You know what I mean? And, and we had, you know, a couple other people that told us, you know, if you quit, I'm going to be so mad at you because I read this every single day. No. You know, this is, this is my source. Right. So that kind of stuff really, okay. honestly meant the world to me and to charity. So. I'll be mad at you, Chris, if you quit. So yes, yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. Right, right, right. You might get some hate mail. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. No. Well, awesome. Well, thanks. Uh, thank you so much for sharing those five moments. And uh, before we, I guess, get out of the diner tonight, uh, where can they find you, Chris, when they if they want to find out more about Life After Trek and Subspace Communique? Yeah, you can go to subspacecommunique.com, uh, lifeaftertrek.com. They both go to the same site. Just when you go to Life After Trek, it sorts it via the podcast. Right. Uh, we're on Twitter at subspacecoms and Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash subspacecoms. So you could find us at any of those places and they probably all point back to the website. So. Right. Well, awesome. Well, thank you. Did you have anything you want to say, Miles? Um, no, I think we covered it. All right. Did you, uh, well, thank you so much for joining us, uh, tonight, Chris, and, uh, it was good to have you on again. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. I always like coming back and talking to you guys. So it's always a lot of fun. We'll have to have you on again soon. Yeah, we def- yeah. definitely will. We'll have to figure out some way to have you on. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Yeah. Oh, by the I'm way, down with that. <laughs> we, by the way, we interviewed uh, the guys from Liberator two weeks ago. Oh, right on. That looks good, and I'm glad they got their funding. Yeah, me too. Me too. So we'll be bringing that in about a week or two. But I know that uh, you were helping promote that a little bit. So yeah, I can't wait for that. It looks re- honestly. I've seen a lot of stuff that uh, was created through Kickstarter, uh, and this actually looks really good. So, yeah, it looks very quality. I mean, uh, what they're doing. And Lou Ferrigno's in it, dude. Lou Ferrigno. I don't know if you guys have seen him at conventions. I have once. He's, <laughs> he's fantastic. I got to tell you a story real quick, Chris. Um, back in '97, a friend and I went to this uh, this mom and pop sci-fi convention um, in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and Lou Ferrigno was there. Um, they had a couple actors from the original Battlestar Galactica series. They had, I forget, I think it's David Prowse, the guy that was in the Darth Vader suit was there. The guy that was in the Boba Fett suit was there. And, uh, Peter Mayhew, the guy who was Chewbacca was there. Well, my friend and I are walking along. We see, uh, Lou Faringo walking past us with an angry look on his face, looking all, all mad and everything like that. And the guy who's playing Darth Vader, he has his panel and very small place. So where they have the table, you know, the, um, 
uh, vendors' tables and where they're having the the, the, the panel, the session, is, is in the same room. So he goes up, asks if he could borrow the mic and – well, what, what's what's he, what, what you got to do? Say no to, to the Incredible Hulk, you know. So he gives, <laughs> exactly. So he yeah. gives, he gives him the mic and he, he said something about the you know him getting screwed somehow by the promoters and uh, he was going to have to leave now. And so um, so that's what he did. But it was just it was very most surreal experience. I think one of the most surreal experiences I ever had. We saw Lou Fringer pretty much become the Incredible Hulk in front of our eyes and yeah. uh, go up to Darth Vader <laughs> to borrow the mic. It was just you know. It's got to be frightening too. I mean, it's Lou Ferrigno. I mean, he yeah. he could squish somebody with his you know his index finger and his thumb. So he's just such a huge guy. Yeah, and in, I mean, I'm sure he hasn't lost his step now. But '97, he was wearing a tank top, and you know, um, yeah, you wouldn't want to cross him in a dark alley. No, yeah, not. seriously, don't do that. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for joining us. Really? Yeah. Again, thanks for having me. I. It's always fun. You guys are awesome. So Awesome. Well, let's wrap up the show, Miles. Till next time, good night and good luck. We'll see ya. When Captain America throws his mighty shield, all those who chose to oppose his shield must yield.